Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and ask us. The more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by Prost, Exercise for Prostate Cancer Incorporated, a not-for-profit charity set up in 2012 by myself. Dr. Joe Milos. If you want to know any more information about Prost, including our online service now available, please just go to prost.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health. So, Prost to you. Hi, this is Dr. Joe. Today, we're going to be doing a little bit of an overview of some consonants management tips. So, Melissa's recently done this with erectile function and she's really explained some um, basics about how important it is to know exactly what's available for erectile dysfunction in terms of the medications available, the vacuum pumps and how things actually work and need to work. And I thought it might be really appropriate for me to do exactly the same thing with continents. And it just so happens that most recently in my clinic, I've begun to see lots of men have also undergone radiation therapy. And although my area of expertise is in men who have had surgery, it's come as a little bit of a surprise to me that there is no such pelvic floor method method or um, training program that's been proven in research to help men with um, continents after radiation therapy. And this includes faecal incontinence, so that loss of bowel motion, which I'm sure is um, even more of a um, distressor than the urinary leakage, particularly if you've had um, complete continence recovery following surgery and then need some radiation therapy at a later date. So I thought it might be a good idea just to run through what actually incontinence means. So let's just understand that incontinence means the involuntary loss of urine, bowel waste or indeed wind or flatulence which is uncontrolled that is it eliminates at a time when you don't want it to so you don't have full control over the area this might mean that you wear pads or that you have um, embarrassing situations where um, you lose wind bowel or urine loss when you don't have any control over the situation so Incontinence, in my opinion, means a man or woman needs to wear continence pads as a level of security. And being continent means you don't have to have a worry about this at all, that it is actually completely within your control. So when I am interviewing a patient and they might attend for me, and let's just say a post-operative prostate cancer patient who's had radical prostatectomy 
typically, if he's done no pelvic floor training before the surgery, I'd expect him to lose um, probably 50% at least of his urine capacity into the toilet and 50% in his pads. If he's done pelvic floor muscle training, then often this is a much less, more like a quarter um, to even 10%. And so there's different types of consonance issues that arise. So we have stress urinary incontinence, which is whenever you have urinary leakage um, during times of what we call increased intra-abdominal pressure. So that's actions such as sitting to stand, coughing or sneezing, bending, breaking wind, or during actions like twisting or bending, moving from um, in and out of the car or stepping into the shower or turning on taps. So stress urinary leakage is something that is triggered by some sort of stress response. Then we have urgency and urgency is when you need to get to the loo but you just don't make it and that is urgency incontinence. So urgency can be that strong desire to empty your bladder that doesn't um, go away and that's really your bladder signalling an automatic or autonomic response saying it's full and you need to do something about it. So you can have urgency, you can have something called an overactive bladder and that means that your bladder is giving you that signal way too many times and we do something called bladder training for that. But urge incontinence is when you get that strong urge to empty your bladder and you just don't make it. This could be urge incontinence um, both faecally as well. So you can lose your bowel waste just as much um, as your urinary uh, system. So we then have mixed incontinence. And mixed incontinence means you have that urgency and loss of urine. And you may even experience some frequency. And frequency means you're going more often than you wish to go day or night. So urgency, the need to go very strong. Urgency incontinence, the need to go and not making it to the toilet. Mixed incontinence being a combination of both. With frequency or overactive bladder or bowel being going more times than you wish to go. So what is the norm? The norm is going to the loo over 40 years of age up to one time per night as a maximum and four to six times during the day. But this, of course, depends on what you drink. Now, there's a lot of um, misinformation, I guess, around about how much everyone should drink and there's a very big push for everyone to drink water, water, water. Um, however, sometimes I see patients that are consuming way too much fluid and they end up dehydrating themselves because their bladder storage capacity is compromised and they lose uh, electrolytes because they're peeing so often. So what's really important is to have a, a bit of an idea. I always say one and a half to two litres of fluid in total is correct for the average person and this could include uh, water, caffeine. I normally say one or two caffeines per day is the maximum and if you're continent... We, um, is not quite perfect. I think it's important to max maximise that at one time. And then we have um, alcohol. And from my, my experience working with um, men and women, alcohol is very much a diuretic. So just like caffeine, it causes the bladder to empty more often. We also know that drinks like beer are going to be more uh, voluminous each time you have consume a drink versus something like a red wine. And I've generally noticed the more manufactured something is, the more processed something is, 
the more elements within it that may cause aggravation of the bladder. So in order, my ranking of alcohol, which tends to um, be most affecting on bladders, is beer is the worst. Then ne- next comes white wine and champagne. Then next comes red wine. And then beyond that, spirits um, seem to be well tolerated. But this is all about the volume as well. So if you're drinking three beers and then there's 375 mils in a can and you're having three of those in an hour versus three glasses of red wine, which is less processed, there's going to be much less of effect. So it's really important to understand as well that alcohol causes the bladder to be irritated, to fill up more quickly, to then want to empty more quickly. And in particular, it causes the pelvic floor muscles to relax. It's a depressant and you lose your reflexes as well. So many a patient has told me over the years that they've had a few drinks, not realise that they have completely wet themselves. And this will help happen often in a standing position. So standing at um, functions like barbecues, weddings, funerals, when drinks get handed around and you're in a standing position. So as you know, if you've been listening to the podcast, the standing position is going to fatigue the pelvic floor the most. And we know through our research that training the pelvic floor muscles in standing is going to help it the most. So I think it's just really important to be acknowledging of your social situations as well and to know what actually causes and contribute to your situation being worse. In terms of caffeine, lots of people have more than one shot of coffee in their um, coffee shop order in the morning and, and just check with who's actually serving it to you. So one caffeine per day is recommended if you are leaking and you need to tailor it to whatever you might need. Also, there's um, coffee um, that has uh, reduced caffeine, so that's decaffeinated coffee. It's not usually 100% clear of caffeine, but usually very minimal. And then we have tea, which has got quite a lot of caffeine content in it as well. And then we have green tea that surprises a lot of people in that we do have green tea that has got caffeine in it or decaffeinated green tea. So it's really important to look at what you're drinking and to have an idea of just how much and how quickly um, things fill up, particularly when you're socialising. Okay, so let's move on to the picture of someone who may be having incontinence issues and how I deal with them in the clinic. And we'll talk about urinary incontinence so far. Let's make a story about a patient called Bob. Now, Bob let's say, has had his radical prostatectomy three months ago and he's come to see me and he's still wearing three pads per day. And if I got him to weigh how much his pads weighed, that would be an idea of the exact leakage. So we know that, say, a level two tenor pad for men weighs 20 grams and if Bob is using three pads a day, then his total dry pad weight is going to be three times 20 grams, which is 60 grams. If I asked him to then weigh his pads each time he changes them and the first pad weighed 100 grams, the second pad 40 grams and the third pad 60 grams, that would be a total of 200 grams per day minus the three pad weights being 60. So a total of 140 grams of pad weight and one gram equals one mil of urine lost. So that's an amount of 140 mils lost per day. Say Bob used another pad at night that started off weighing 20 and then left in the morning 
overnight to weigh before he got up and started moving about weighed 25 grams, that would be a five gram net weight and a five nil loss of urine. So I would immediately say to Bob, Bob, the amount that is holding your pad is far more potentially than what you're actually leaking. So let's get you into a much smaller pad. So I call this my pad weaning protocol. And we know because of those hours lying down, you're not moving around, apart from potentially if you're just getting up to go to the loo to empty, that the fatiguing of the pelvic floor is unlikely to happen. So I ask my patients to wear the smallest possible pad. And in the Tina range, this is known as the shield or the protective shield. And this is also available in a product called Depend, which is also known as the protective shield. So I ask my patients to wear these shields for three nights in a row until they are dry. And then if they have three dry nights in a row, then I ask them to stop wearing them completely. And then I say, when you wake up in the morning and you don't have a pad on at all, because you've gone without it for the first time, just wander around your own home for as long as you feel comfortable not using a pad. Some men are surprised that they don't start leaking until 10am or maybe even 1pm in the afternoon. And this is because the pelvic floor muscles fatigue more as the day progresses, as I mentioned earlier. So for Bob, I'd be expecting if he did have um, five grams or less of leakage per night, that it might only take him a week or so to get rid of the um, night pad. Then I would ask him to wear a pad that's appropriate to how much he's leaking. So some pads or pull-up pants, for example, like the diaper nappy style, can hold more than a kilo. But that would be over in excess of what's required. The level three pads by Tina hold about 450 grams. The level um, two, about 250 grams. The level one, 150 grams. And the shield, 50 grams. So you need to wear what's appropriate. Another thing is, if you have a big bulky padding, then there is this sense of security against your skin. And I always say to my patients, we want to try and um, use the smallest possible pad for your need because I don't want your body to rely on that sort of pressure feeling, that biofeedback that it's getting from feeling that sense of security. And I do think, although patients say, is this psychological, that it is mostly physical, but you need to be able to test your um, continence, confidence in the security of your own home. So when you start wearing no pads, just try in your own home environment. So you've got toilets and pads nearby, should there be any accidents. And then to progress that to um, short walks outside or maybe doing some gardening or um, housework in your own um, property and then progressing as if you're comfortable. If you're heading outdoors, out socially, um, where you're going to be in public with other people, always wear a pad until you feel comfortable. But then another thing happens. You get towards the end of the day and you might find your most leaky part of the day is between about 3 and 6 p.m. And this is normal. And indeed, if you go for a walk in the evening versus the morning, you're more likely to leak. We we tend to sit down for the evening and recreate even from the TV, watching some movies, Netflix, whatever it might be. Um, Maybe you hop on your iPad or laptop and start doing a few emails and you notice that there's a lot less leakage. So this is another time to think about weaning off the pads. So as part of my pad weaning protocol, I'll next say, once you've got rid of the pads at night and delayed them in the morning, to start taking them off earlier and earlier before you go to bed. So taking them off in the evening, maybe after 7pm for a couple of hours before you 
go to bed. And then using this time pad-free to literally be aware of what's going on. If you know that you leak from sitting to standing, then just make sure you apply the neck. So that's just simply pulling up your pelvic floor before you stand up with maybe about 50% pressure, then taking three or four steps before you gradually release it. And that can be really helpful because if you don't have a pad on all the time, you can actually become quite in tune and quite what we say in physiotherapy terms, proprioceptively aware of when you actually are leaking. And I do find that this little bit of extra um, awareness makes a huge difference to you being able to remember what it's like to um, be leaking in certain situations. So identify your own triggers is always my next goal. Wearing the pads for exercise and social events is probably the the next um, step that we have for ensuring that you have a lot less leakage or embarrassing situations. So what we really want to encourage lastly is to only wear the pads or shields when you may be at a risky time and that could be that you know you're going out socially to um, drink alcohol and that could be long periods of time away. And then it might be that you just carry a little uh, pad or shield in your pocket rather than in your pants. And so overall that would actually be a wonderful opportunity for you to uh, have a bit of a backup plan. Now finally I say if you forget about wearing your pad it's usually because you don't need it anymore. In fact, you're cured of this incontinent situation. So I think overall, if you could just have a little think about where you are at the moment. In the case of Bob, I'd be getting him to do pelvic floor exercises every day to make sure that he is doing the exercises enough and and correctly. So if you're in my clinic, then I would be able to um, assess that appropriately but if you're not sure how to do pelvic floor exercises you can go back through our pop-up podcast um, number four to learn all about um, the pelvic floor and your anatomy and you can start actually uh, training for that a little bit more. Okay next I want to have a little bit of chat about worsening consonants. So let's say Bob is not improving and Bob has come to see me, he's got rid of his night pads but he's still very leaky during the day. In my clinic I tend to see patients who are either um, going really, really well or and p- progressing over time or just finding that right from the beginning they never got off to a good start. Typically this is the man who leaks overnight into his pads um, quite large volumes and has basically no control when he was um, sitting to standing or being upright on his feet whatsoever. So I have um, something called the penile clamp protocol that I use in my clinic. Now there's probably about a dozen different types of penile clamps that are available and I personally recommend either the Wisner clamp or the dribble stop um, just from a the uh, physiotherapists and uh, patients around Australia and the world, we found that these couple of products are really helpful. So if you're someone who's very leaky, 
um, and not really making any progress or really quite overcome by the ongoing nature of this, I often recommend the use of a penile clamp as a temporary aid. So what I ask patients to do is to make sure that they never wear the clamp overnight and that they could potentially wear it for all the hours they're awake, six days a week. And to wear this as a training device in a temporary sort of four to six week training program as the aim. So what a man should do is when he gets up in the morning and feels like he's starting to leak and it might be as early as 7 or 8am to place the penile clamp mid-shaft along the penis to where it's comfortable. Now these products are very safe and um, engineered um, to ensure that there's urethral um, opening and that the pressure on it does not cause injury or strictures. Never actually had anyone have any problems with this sort of situation involving. And for those worried about whether or not there's evidence or research, we have um, Cochrane reviews that look at all the work that um, researchers do. Um, and we've actually found that the Cochrane review from 2015 does actually recommend the use of penile clamps um, in some cases. So I'm talking about these some cases where things are a little bit more desperate. Not everybody, but also really helpful for certain situations like Say you're a bloke that wants to walk his um, daughter down the aisle and you don't want to have to worry about urinary leakage. Um, or you're going out to a fancy dinner and you just don't want to have to deal with it for the night. It's really appropriate to use this intermittently as well as a training device. So back to how to use the penile clamp. I encourage everyone to then place that uh, penile clamp on a position where it's feeling comfortable and then to have a minimum of two hours between emptying their bladder. So that means, if possible, placing the clamp on and then drinking the normal fluid consumption through the day of one and a half to two litres to every two hours or longer to go to the loo. Unclip the clamp and empty the bladder and then place it straight back on again. This can gradually improve the bladder holding capacity but also the strength of um, contraction of um, pelvic floor muscles because... A lot of the problem arises in that the pelvic floor muscles don't have enough endurance in them. I actually find by applying the penile clamp, it adapts the muscles, the pelvic floor muscles, more quickly to the needs of filling. And the bladder tends to um, get used to uh, stretching back out to its pre-surgical um, volumes again. We then say, chief, try and build it to two to three hours with three to four hours being long enough between one empty of the bladder and the next. And then to try and wear this all the hours of the active. So say from 8am to 8pm and then take it off for those last few hours at night. Now, then on the seventh day of the week, I think it's really important to give the skin and the bladder and the pelvic floor muscles a complete break and an opportunity to reassess so once a week, I get my patients to fill in that bladder chart to see how they're actually going. And that could be down to two pads a day, say Bob started using this, and to a total of 100 grams. Now, to be honest, most patients who um, use the, the clamps initially could be leaking more than 500 grams per day and really quite distressed by it. I had a man last week leaking 1.6 litres per day, so... Um, 1.6 kilos of urine being lost so he absolutely had no control 
and already within just a few weeks of using the clamp six days a week, this is going down to under 500 mils of leakage. So what we've got is the clamp being placed on during the active hours, it gives men the opportunity to have their bladders sealed, their ability to move about doing whatever they want with no restriction and then emptying their bladder at their command rather than just passively leaking all day long. And so this is a really helpful training device. Now after the fourth and fifth, sorry, the third and fourth week, we can actually reassess and see where someone is at. If he's still finding he's leaking a lot on that seventh day week off, I'll often say, right, we'll, we'll review it in another two weeks. Um, with There are patients who I've um, had used the penile clamp for one to two years because they've had things like artificial sphincters that have got infected or um, they've had radiation therapy, which means they can't actually um, have any control or they don't have enough um, tissue to surgically work with. So there's always um, a few cases that are exceptional and prefer to use the clamp long-term, again, without incidents. Um, however, in clinic, I tend to find most patients are so relieved that they're able to move around and about that in several situations some men have told me that it saved their life this simple clamping protocol because um, they had lost hope of ever regaining their consonants so I've I'm very happy to share both my pad weaning protocol and my penile clamp protocol with you today now it may be that your consonants nurse urologist physiotherapist is unfamiliar with using clamps and is a little bit concerned about that and many a time I've had um that question poised to me or indeed patients themselves being uncomfortable about using clamps particularly if their urologist tells them not to and all I can say is it's about quality of life and if you've got an opportunity not to be leaking 24-7 for even half of your um, daytime or the occasional opportunity when it's really important to you not to be leaking then the penile clamps can really help improve your quality of life but I've done this in probably between five and 600 patients now using the penile clamps and it's been a real opportunity to more quickly progress consonants function. So it can take months and months and months for the bladder to learn to hold any volume in it and yet the penile clamp is a way of um, encouraging the muscles to adapt and strengthen more quickly for the bladder to stretch and for the man to have dignity during this time. So if your quality of life is being compromised by consonants, have no concerns at all um, with recommending the penile clamp and um, to share this podcast with any of your health providers if they're in doubt. And there is evidence through the Cochrane Review of 2015 by Anderson et al. to support this. Now, next step is how to wean off the clamp. So just like the pads, if you're not leaking until two o'clock in the afternoon um, and getting by with one pad, but after two o'clock there's a sudden crash and you have uncontrolled leakage, it might be that you just start putting the penile clamp on between 2 and 6 p.m. in the afternoon or if you're going off to play a game of golf or if you're going for a late afternoon walk or if you want to go out for dinner or um, go into a situation where there is going to be, um, you know, no facility of a toilet around. And so that's a really um, important quality of life uh, decision that you can make and only you can make it only you live in your shoes and in your pants 
So hoping these couple of little tips about pad weaning protocol have been of help. The penile clamp, um, I know, has been of a great use. Now, let's go back to Bob. And let's say I completely cured Bob of his incontinence and uh, he no longer needed wearing pads. But in two years' time, he'd come back to me with a re-emergence of his PSA and a need to have radiation therapy um, to help um, get rid of the prostate cancer that had re-emerged. And that this caused during his radiation therapy urinary frequency, urge incontinence and urinary leakage once again. But not only that, bowel issues, bowel frequency and urgency and then some faecal incontinence. So when it comes to pelvic floor training, traditionally for surgical patients, we have um, more recently adapted this the use of the urine sphincter. So typically we say squeeze the front passage as if you're stopping the flow of urine and then gently draw the testes up and the penis in as if you're retracting the penis. And to repeat this um, with 100% effort 10 times quickly at about one second per contraction, so squeeze and lift, let go to a full relax, squeeze and lift, let go to a full relax times 10, followed by 10 endurance holds, lifting and holding for up to 10 seconds, and then releasing, resting for 10 seconds and repeating that 10 times between five five to six sets per day in standing over the whole day to get that opportunity to strengthen the urethral urinary structures. But when it comes to bowel incontinence, we need to think about utilising the external anal sphincter. So that's the back passage, the one that holds wind and eliminates um, bowel motion or faeces. So when it comes to the exercise, it's really important to initiate that back sphincter as well if you're suffering from bowel issues. So that's squeezing the front passage, squeezing the back passage, then drawing the penis in and the testes up, lifting the nuts to guts, as um, you know I often talk about. So we have 10 little quick ones of those, 10 holding ones up to 10 seconds each, and five or six sets per day in standing. Now, it's also really important that you, if you have faecal incontinence, be aware of your foods. So spicy foods and foods um, that you know cause you more bloating or more wind should be avoided during radiation therapy. And lots of caffeine as well can affect the bowel. So you need to be really careful of that as well as alcohol, as I've already mentioned with urinary issues, can also wreak havoc on bowel function. We're looking for a normal um, forming stool of what, if you look at something called the Bristol stool score, it's like a sausage shape, firm, um, but not hard to push out or evacuate bowel motion. So we're also um, really mindful of having healthy gut. Um, so foods and drinks can also be agitating as well. Now, there is no research on pelvic floor muscle training for radiation patients at this point in time. However, I'm pleased to let you know that I recognise this was a big gap and research is underway in Perth, Western Australia with Dr Ryan Stafford and um, the team from Queensland University and at, um, with Paul Hodges being involved. So we're currently doing pilot studies looking at radiation patients because we know that's a big missing um, element of our established evidence in looking after men with prostate cancer. But even generally, if you're someone who's dealing with 
incontinence issues, it's absolutely imperative to um, be aware of how to help yourself. And we don't have results yet, but usually I'm really effective in pelvic floor muscle training to help with these guys. And finally, this brings me to an update on the Bins for Blokes campaign. So World Continence Week in June of 2021, so it was the 21st of June to the 28th of June, we launched the Bins for Blokes campaign. It's something that we touched on um, in an earlier episode with Lena and it was all about um, how, although we don't have um, bin facilities or sanitary bin facilities for males in male toilets, that we recognised there was a great need. So in episode 10, you can go and have a listen to the amazing Lena who spoke on behalf of her husband, Gino, who'd had an embarrassing situation where he didn't know where to put his urinary continence pads following his prostate cancer treatment. So what Lena and I did was got together and we started a campaign in Western Australia. This led to the Continence Foundation of Australia coming on board because they were fully aware of their problem. And between us in World Continence Week 2021, we launched the Bins for Bloats campaign, which was a push to encourage um, men to have access um, to sanitary bin facilities across Australia in all public toilets. We know actually one in nine males across the lifespan will encounter consonance problems with even young men having to deal or boys having to deal with things like um, bowel leakage due to things like cerebral palsy or um, in some cases diabetes or neuromuscular neurological conditions that mean they have um, reduced continence control. So the Bins for Bloats campaign is something that you can access yourself. So if you go to www.binsforblokes.org.au, you can actually download a whole pile of resources and you can actually ask for stickers and brochures and a whole lot of information as to how to get Bins for Blokes put into your either local government, um, local uh, offices, local parks. It's a big push across Australia right now and hopefully the rest of the world will follow suit um, by enlisting in the Continence Foundation of Australia's campaign. So Bins for Blokes with the number four in the centre, www.binsforblokes.org.au. And I greatly encourage anyone who has continence issues and the needs to pads to seek out this campaign, put in a pledge for where you'd like to see these um, toilets nominated and encourage your workplace, your sporting ground, wherever it may be, to jump on board with this. What was greatly um, pleasing was we were able to launch the Bins of Blokes campaign at the Western Australian Cricket Ground or the WACA um, as the first sporting stadium across Australia to install bins for blokes and that was led by um, CEO of the WACA Christina Matthews in tandem with the Perth City East Rotary Club of which I'm a member. So this has been a wrap of all things continents and pelvic floor control, pad weaning, the penile clamp protocol and an introduction to ongoing research at the University of Western Australia to address radiation patients. I hope you've found this podcast helpful and that the story of Bob was just a small sample of the type of situation 
I see in my clinic every day. So any questions, please feel free, send them through. Otherwise, it's been great sharing this little bit of time with you on Bins for Blokes. Thank you and Prost. Lives inside me It's been there All of my life Hi, this is Dr Jo. Thank you so much for listening to our program today. And we're pleased to let you know that we will be having weekly podcasts, not fortnightly, as originally proposed. And this is because of the popularity of our podcast. We're getting so many emails, so many questions, and so much feedback, and Melissa and I greatly appreciate it. What we'd really love you to do is share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit, including any man in your life. Simply download off Spotify or subscribe to the penisproject.org and then you'll get a weekly email of our newest releases. Also feel free to send us a review and this will greatly help in our ongoing ability to bring you new and fresh information as that's the way we build what comes next. We also have show notes attached and this gives a bit of a background into any additional resources or explanations of what we're talking about. Finally, it's my great pleasure to let you know that PROST, the exercise program which sponsors our podcast, is now available on a USB resource for any man diagnosed with prostate cancer, an exercise program. Clinicians can buy these as well as the everyday bloke. So feel free to check out prost.com.au. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. Those dread dark days, I learned to value each and every one. Of those warm afternoons Boys on their bikes Shooting stones at each other through the trees We tried to deny The going down of the sun 